You're listening to HR Mavericks, a weekly podcast featuring leading small business HR professionals who share their experiences and insights to help you know how to turn your HR processes and employee experience into a strategic business advantage. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the next episode of the HR Mavericks podcast. I'm Garrett Justice, and today I'm joined by Daryl L. Mobley, who's the CEO of Catapult Leaders. Daryl, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic, working on my tan. I love it. Yeah, we are, we're he's joining us here from sunny Arizona. We were talking before we jumped on here about the difference of Arizona weather today or this week in the 80s versus we're here in Utah, and we got a little bit of a cold, cold front today, so we're jealous of you for sure. <laughs> we can always come visit. I know. We'll off to hit you up next time we're down there in Arizona. We'll come bunk up, huh? Well, hey, Daryl, we're super excited to have you on the show today. Uh, Before we really jump into our topic, tell our listeners just a little bit more about your career background and also what your company, Catapult Leaders, does. Okay. All right. Uh, I think first, kind of the foundation of everything or anything about me is I'm a husband and I'm a father. And then in my free time, I'm a founder of Catapult Leaders. Uh, Catapult Leaders is America's leading firm that sources black uh, professionals, the experience, experience, uh, early career interns, junior military officers for jobs as engineers, computer and data scientists, supply chain, marketing and advertising with companies that value diversity. So we kind of focus on delivering that value to companies. Uh, I operate as an outsourced uh, chief diversity officer for small companies. So I do that as well as just more efficient. I've worked with major and smaller companies. I'm also an executive and life coach. I graduated from West Point, served in the Army as a military intelligence officer. And my philosophy is to enjoy life. Uh, My goal is to be happy. And my core belief is that the best is yet to come. I love it. I love it. That's such great stuff. So, uh, so much that we could dive into from that. But one thing I really want to ask you about before we really jump into this topic uh, with re- related to your background is tell us a little bit more about that transition. I mean, you started your career in the military, right? And then eventually over the course of your career, you've kind of navigated to really creating your own company that is really in this HR or recruiting space, right? You're working with companies to help place the right candidates in the right career job. So, so tell us more about that transition. What, what prompted that, you know, kind of in your career journey and, and really part two of that's what's kept you in this space. What do you enjoy about what you do? Sure thing. I think that, uh, you know, when I was uh, a little kid, my grandfather told me, he, he said, uh, he said, he said, when you see a pro- when you see something, you got to do something. Like, and that was the first time that he told me that. He said, "Come, let's go." And he grabbed his rifle. He walked outside, and uh, uh, my grandmother came and told him something. Whispered something to him. We go outside. I said, "Where are we going, Granddad?" Granddad. And he says, "When you see something, you got to do something." And what it was was there was this gigantic rattlesnake. I grew up in Florida. And he blew the rattlesnake bits. I mean, he just blew the bits, right? And, <laughs> and so I, I, I've always remembered that. And so now fast forward through this, these years, I've started a number of companies. I've worked in major corporations in the Army. It was great, jumping out of planes and all that kind of It's fantastic. But we arrived at this point in my life, and I like to say I'm a different man now than I was then in that, you know, I have kids and in uh, that whole sort of thing. And so I think about the world differently. And I noted that much as when I entered the corporate world, 30 years ago, uh, there, there was a challenge being faced by companies to find 
and and to inter- recruit, to interview, to hire, and to develop uh, talented black professionals. It was a problem. So mm-hmm. much like my grandfather told me, if you see something, you got to do something. So I said, well, I know how to fix this problem. And I told myself when I talked to my family, should I do this? Should I keep doing this? Should I do it? And I, I said, I remember telling them, I said, well, if I don't do this, who's going to do it? Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how long, if it's still a problem 30 years later, the same problem is 30 I said, what's going to happen? 30 years from now, our, my kids are going to be my age, and they're going to tell their kids to hear this problem. So it was an attempt. It is an attempt to address a problem by taking it on head on, being very focused, and delivering value to companies. I love it. I, it's such a great story and such a great analogy. So, um, so, so what have you enjoyed since you've really focused about tackling that problem head on? What's really kept you in that space? There's nothing, you know, I, as I said, I do a lot of executive and career coaching and that's fun. I think that's the best job in the world because we get to help people reach their goals. Now to go over here into what we do now, this, this sort of employment staffing recruiting world. I believe that the next big, great civil right is a job that changes your family. Mm-hmm. I know that my kids have lived a different life than I grew up because of the job that I took and what it did for me career-wise. I mean, I worked hard and did all the stuff you're supposed to, but the fact is that job at that company changed the arc of my life, which meant it changed life, the arc of my, my wife, my life, and I didn't have kids back then, and it changed the arc of kids who hadn't even shown up yet which yeah. means it's going to change their kids. It's going to change their kids. So the most fun thing I, I the thing I get out of this now, I love it when our folks, the folks we work with get great jobs. There's nothing, yeah. every day we ring a bell. When somebody gets a great job, we ring the bell and we realize we haven't just changed that person's life. They may be 22, they may be 32, they may be 52, but we've changed the lives of those around them and generations. We really are changing generations. And I don't think we're blowing smoke that way. I really I can look at my own family and I just think about what my parents and grandparents went through to put me in a position to do what I did. And then now my kids and then grandkids are going to come. All that stuff just tells me that we're part of a massive march forward. All of us are. You, me, we're all of a march forward. And I think that every time we work and put talented person into with a company, they would not have heard about the opportunity. They would never have been approached about the job. And they get this job and we're changing generations. So that's that's what I get out of it. And that's every day. We love ringing that bell. I love that. That's so impactful. I mean, just hearing you talk about that, I mean, I just kind of got chills, you know, thinking about the major impacts on so many people's lives, right? When you can take them from a situation um, and change that trajectory of their life. So definitely impactful work that you're doing there. Appreciate all that you're doing. So I'm excited to dump into this topic today. I mean, your, your expertise, especially with your company is really on working with these diverse employees and helping them find the right opportunity in the right company with them. And you kind of proposed this topic of what, let's talk about this intersection of diverse employees and productivity. And so before we kind of jump into the depths of this here, I want to really set the stage. So when we talk about diversity, diverse employees today. What's your definition of that? What, what, what's your definition of, of a diverse employee? Sure thing. Two things. One is when you, when you use the term diversity, you have to talk about there's race, there's ethnicity, there's gender, there's age, there's citizenship status, there's education, there's income, there's kind of where you're from, your skills, your upbringing, national origin. There's a lot of things. Today, I'm going to circle diversity around the areas that are impacted by colorism. Right, mm-hmm. the impact of colorism on our society and on the world. So that's where I'm going to focus my comments today. But, but diversity 
you know, listen, having different people that, that when I went to West Point, one of the most incredible things about attending West Point as a cadet is that they brought cadets from all over the country. Every state looks rich, poor, everything, and even around the world in there, it was this incredible mixing pot of people with different ideas and different thoughts. And so that's diversity. Mm-hmm. But today I will focus my comments around those, those diverse elements that are impacted by colorism. Love it. Thank you for setting the stage on that. So you you kind of proposed this idea too of the again, like I mentioned, this intersection between diverse employees and productivity. How do we help them be most productive on the job? And right. you actually mentioned that you have <clears throat> some things that you have seen in working with a lot of diverse employees that prevents them or stops them from being most productive on the job. Is that right? right? That's correct. Absolutely, that's absolutely correct. And I tell you, there are there are some core things that that the, that particular segment of our workforce does, it doesn't serve it. You are correct. Tell us a little bit more about that. You said you have a, a, a list of a few of those things that yeah. really prevent them from being most productive. Absolutely. So these are things that are often hidden to other people, right? You, you know, if a person doesn't show up on time, obviously that action is not leading productivity, right? But there are things that oftentimes people feel that they don't tell other people about. You may be a boss, a manager, uh, whatever, and you're, you're never going to hear this from us. So I'm going to help help share this now. One of the things that diverse employees do that holds them back is they don't make sure that they are fully prepared before they take the job. Like, mm-hmm. for example, a lot of people, you know, certain organizations, you go in, there's a setup way of training. You go in, you get trained, and everybody goes through some wonderful thing. But most people. But most people are going into organizations where they don't have that scheduled, planned training, right? It takes a very, and I'm going to talk about why later on, it takes a very uh, strong personality to step up and say, hey, let me raise my hands. Um, I need more from you to get ready for this opportunity. And we don't do that. We being people of color tend to not do that at a greater extent than, than other people. And that holds them back. So that's one area. A second area is going to be diverse employees tend to disengage from the workplace. You're not going to be as good on a team if you're not engaged with the team. Be it sports, business, it doesn't really matter, right? Well, diverse employees tend not to engage because they may feel as if, well, I'm not part of this in group, right? And so you're never going to get the best out of that employee. He or she is not going to give you their best if they're not engaged, if they're not saying, boy, I'm all in, I'm really into this stuff. There's a bit of holding back for yeah. a lot of historical reasons that, that impact it. Number three would be, uh, I would say they tend to, diverse employees tend to be impacted by external factors at a higher le- level than non-diverse employees. And, non- and here's what I mean. We know that people of color have more financial constraints on them than, generally speaking, than mm-hmm. people who are not of color, right, in, the, in this country, right, all over the world, but mm-hmm. in, in this country. What that means is there are more things pulling them. The, the, the rate at which someone who is black has to, for example, provide money to the family, mm-hmm. the extended family to survive, is extinct, ex, significantly higher than non-black employees. Same thing yeah. with, with Hispanic employees, right? Much higher. So that means that when you make that, when you make the money, you're not just doing this for you. You're not just making it money. You've got to do things with it. You've got to allot it around. That puts extra stress, extra strain on the person 
that is not on other people. And the problem is when you have that extra weight on you, like the two things I mentioned before, not being engaged, not getting prepared, you're going into the job and it's hard to be your best when you're carrying that extra weight. Number yeah. four, they oftentimes, this group, they oftentimes, and I will tell you, let me just back up a second. Yeah. I think had it not been for my West Point experience and Army experience, I would have fallen um, prey to this. Next one. They tend to not ask for help because they're concerned about that you're going to think they're less than, right? Mm -hmm. you're you're going to think less of them if they ask. So they're not even going to ask for the help, which everybody needs help. Everybody needs assistance. Yeah. But they tend to, I say, put your light under a bushel basket and just stay really, really, really low because well, because they just they, they don't there's just a lot of concern about what are they going to think they already think this about me it this and this can be people who are incredibly accomplished incredibly yeah. educated there is this this sense of hey this group thinks x about me so i can't do this i can't do that i have to be perfect and as you know it's very 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 difficult to be perfect i don't know if yeah. it's perfect so so there's that the next one would be they tend to not go all out hmm. Uh, let me give you an analogy. If you have a basketball player uh, who's a really talented player, and I know Utah, you guys have a pretty good team this year, right? <laughs> so you got a basketball player who's a pretty good player, a really good shooter, but he's concerned. He's concerned about what the fans will boo when he misses a shot. If that is his concern, he's not going to shoot as much as he should. Right. He's not he's not going to give you all of his talent, all of his skill. If he's concerned about the boos of people, that people are going to think, well, he's bad. He can't shoot. There are a few players in the league right now who are like that. Right. They just they're not good shooters. We know they're not good shooters and they get heat when they miss a shot. Everybody misses shots. So that fear that you're going to be thought that people think less of you. And so if you venture out in, in a meeting, if you don't raise your hand and say, hey, I think this. What about this? I have an idea. Let's try this. You, we tend, we being people of color, tend to not do that as much because we're concerned that people are going to think uh, that if, if I'm wrong, they're going to think I'm, I'm really stupid. If I'm not exactly right, I'm not perfect. I call it the Jackie Robinson syndrome. Yeah. Jackie Robinson had to be perfect to play among people who weren't perfect. I mean, let's be honest, right? He had to be, that is an incredible burden. You think yeah. about it, i got to be perfect. Even if you think, even if you're not perfect, but you think you got to be perfect, it affects how you think about yourself, your your sense of well-being, um, your 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 mindset. Okay, and I, can I give you a bonus one? Number six. Yeah. The thing that people of color, the diverse candidates, all things. By the way, this is the same too for women. There are a lot of yeah. diversity. Yeah. It's a problem. What this thing people do that holds them back is perhaps the most debilitating, and that is they fear. They fear that they fear things. So, for example, uh, I can tell you, uh, certainly when I was younger, I know that every time I went into a store, I was very careful to make sure my hands were always within sight. Because mm -hmm. I didn't want anybody on the camera to think I had stolen something. Okay. Mm -hmm. That is a fear of being accosted by the authorities. Imagine living with that in your head every yeah. single day. Imagine if you have kids and you're concerned that they will be mistreated. That's a yeah. fear. Imagine if your fear is, well, I can't really speak up and be my best because I make a mistake, I won't have this job, and I'm concerned about getting another job. You have that fear going. Imagine if driving to work, you're carrying a fear of being pulled over by police. Imagine, yeah. I, I can tell you this, as I told my kids, 
all parents tell their kids this, but as I told my kids, I said, listen, if you're ever driving, a policeman stops you because you were speeding or whatever reason, I said, put your hands on the, on the um, steering wheel and keep them there. And when you're going to move your hands, you tell the person, so I'm going to reach and get my wallet now that you're asking for. Is that okay? <laughs> what, what am I doing? I'm, I don't, I, my concern is that there will be a misunderstanding and yeah. then bad things happen. So imagine that fear being a part of every single day that you, that you, that you live, everything. You go to work with, you think everything is about that. You've got family members that appear. So it's a lot of stuff going on. And, and, um, and another big fear is that, that the people of color, uh, the diverse people of color, won't fit in because they don't quite fit white cultural norms, yeah. their hairstyle, the way they dress, uh, you know, the music they like, what they want to yeah. do. All these things are fears. And imagine a person who's got to carry that big ball of fear around. It, it, it's a heavy burden. And those yeah. are the things, when I say that we do, that we being the, 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 the diverse, do to themselves, what I mean, it is my fear. It is their fear. Uh, but there are a lot of things that impact the fear. But it's a fear you carry around. And I would say that, that that bonus number six is probably the most insidious of them all. Yeah. Wow. I mean, there's so much that we could just dive into. I, I just appreciate you really sharing those, those six things. I think it's really eye-opening. I think it's probably, um, really, um, the diverse employees and people who are listening to that probably really resonate with everything that you're saying. They probably had experiences with, you know, at least one, if not all of those things that you talked about. And I think for, um, those like myself, right. It's good being, able to hear those things that we might not me, someone who is a white male, you know, working in an environment might not have experienced in the past. Right. So I love that you're, you're starting this conversation and, 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 or continuing this conversation really about these things that are really impacting these diverse employees that are preventing them. Again, how, how we started on this is it's, these are the things that are really preventing them from being most productive on the job. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. And so um, it, it, it really, at the end of the day, it's not that these diverse employees are not trying to be productive. Of course that they are, but there's these other factors at play that can sometimes limit productivity. Is that right? Yes. That's 100% correct. Tell 100%. us more about that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that, um, again, I like analogies. If you have a horse, it can be the fastest horse in the world. But if you keep loading it with weight, it, it runs slower and slower and slower. You want it to run fast. You want it to do what it does. You want it to do fantastic things. Well, it, it, that weight on its back, we have to, A, acknowledge that. That's number one. If we don't acknowledge it, even if I try to ignore it. Like I said, there were, I was uh, my own guy, did my own thing. I kind of put things aside and moved on. But I knew stuff was there. You know, I got stopped driving around uh, as a corporate executive, I got stopped by policemen well, a number of times. But I remember getting stopped as you know, a corporate executive. The guy pulled me over. Nothing's going on. Just pulled me over. Now, people might say, what's the big deal? Please pull me over. I said, yes. But think of everything that's going through my mind right. when he pulls me over. Every, mm -hmm. every, all the stuff. And then the insult. Just the insult of all these messages. And that's, that's, the, that's the power of colorism, the negative power of colorism. It makes you feel less than I'm not as good as you're stopping me. Yeah. Find something wrong with me. And that that psychologically is a weight. Think of that horse again. That is hard to run with. 
Yeah, no, it makes total sense. So, I mean, the the big loaded question then, I think for everyone out there who's listening or thinking then too, is how do we fix this, right? And and I think that there are, I mean, we could talk for days probably about society and how we yeah. fix this, right? Yeah. But I think within the realms of, you know, we have a lot of small business owners or solo HR leaders who within the realms of what they can really impact within the walls yeah. of their business, yeah. how would you recommend that they build a culture and a company that can help address some of these challenges for these diverse employees. Cause I, you know, I believe that, you know, the best business leaders and the best HR leaders out there, regardless of their background, have the best intentions, right. Yeah. And they, and they want to do the right thing. They want to help solve some of these issues. So, so what do you recommend that they do? How do we go about doing that? That is a great point and a great question. And you're right. I mean, let me, let me, let me, hug you with the notion that, yes, I'm with you. The notion of solving the world's problems is too big. That's somebody else's role. And although I think it happens little by little, we all do our things. For sure. If if there is a person in charge of that, I don't know who he or she is. They're in another room somewhere, right? (laughs) But in a room we deal in, there are things that we can do to remove that weight as much as possible from the back of that horse. Number one is everyone who steps into your company, if you're an HR person, there should be a training plan, action plan from the very beginning, from day, from Jump Street. That way, everybody's starting off with the same base of knowledge. There's a tendency to make assumptions. And when we make assumptions, um, that's going to hurt somebody, right? So imagine if there was an action plan from day one, here's what you do. This action plan, you develop collaboratively with your employee. That's especially important. Honestly, it's important with everybody. I, when I was a manager, I did it with everybody. But it was especially powerful with your diverse employees mm-hmm. to sit down and collaboratively talk about, okay, here's what the goals are. Here's where we are. Here's some thoughts. How does that work with you? When you did that, you had complete buy-in. Plus, then they know you're on their side. That's one weight removed. That's the big one. They know that, okay, this person is on my team. All good. You take that weight off the horse's back, right? And that performance action plan, it must be clear. It must be specific. It must have goals for the employee. It must say, here's how we're going to measure your progress. Mm -hmm. Here's specifically what we're going to look for on these intervals. We're going to have deadlines for things. In other words, it's literally a, a success sheet. Do these things. And you succeed. If I give somebody that, if you think about it, if I give somebody that, then I'm telling him or her, hey, I want you to succeed. Mm -hmm. No no doubt about it. Number two, be clear, be very clear that if that employee needs anything, someone to talk to, a question about this, a question about that, how to do this, how to do that, hey, I'm always good. My Mm -hmm. first meeting when I had people that worked for me, my first meeting, the very first meeting for me uh, was always in a restaurant somewhere, like the pizza joints, always because it's casual, it's laid out, and you sit there, you know, and just very relaxed. We're talking, and literally, I talk about their lives. What's important to them? What's going on? How's it going? And once somebody knows that you're in, you're invested in their life, mm-hmm. things change. Now, can a, can an HR manager go out with everybody? Some companies yes, some companies no. But that philosophy works. Try to address if you ever come up against poor, another point. If you ever come up against poor work performance, anything like that. Deal with it sooner rather than later. Nobody, you know, listen, because then if you let it wait, 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 and fester, the employee, the diversity will think you were just setting me up to fail. You mm-hmm. could have told me that a long time ago. You know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. 
you, you know, ask good questions of people. Uh, uh, check your emotions. There's a lot of emotional stuff. There's a lot of, listen, colorism is, it's incredible, right? And everybody, you, me, we all have these things going on mm-hmm. consciously and subconsciously about, about color we don't know. My point is, the one way to get to the truth, because no success, no progress happens without truth, is to uh, uh, is to share your thinking on how. Hey, I want you, Garrett. I want I want you to be successful. I want you to tell me what do you need to be successful. Mm-hmm. I, I want to and write it down. Like really, like I would do that. Might be that right? So tell me. Okay, what? Okay, what works best for you? Once you again, remember, you, basically, yeah. I'm saying I'm setting the success plan for you. So get rid of the emotions. Be specific and concrete. And be quick with kudos. Like I'm, I'm a big believer. Be vi- be very very slow on the criticism of anything, generally. Mm-hmm. But be quick with the uplift. Yeah. If you do those things, then what you're doing is you're removing. You can't fix the problem with police, but you can fix the problem in that relationship. Because the relationship in, in business, the employee employer or the HR employee relationship always starts off at a deficit. <laughs> It's always, yeah, right? yeah. always. It's always just it's us versus them. So how do you pull that thing down? Well, you got to really engage. And if you do yeah. that, you have a chance to be successful. I love it. Such great feedback. And I would say, um, you know, from my perspective, at least those are, those are tangible things that are going to help all employees. But I think That's especially, right. especially those diverse employees that you have. Right. And you're creating a culture that's more inclusive and puts people on more of a level playing field there. That's right. I that's love right. it. If, if, if everybody gets one of the one of the beautiful things about life, and uh, people uh, uh, only this well, most people don't they don't want your sympathy. They don't want your pity. Mm-hmm. They just want you want to have it right, whatever right is, right? And so if you approach it from that standpoint, it's not sympathy or pity because you're not better than me, I'm not better than you. I, but my but my my goal is to facilitate your success. That's my goal. That is a very incredible relationship uh, that you have when you, when that's understood. And it's hard not to see success and more productivity on, on among your team, your company, your organization if the people who are doing the work know that you want them to succeed and are going to work tirelessly to succeed. Yep. And, and ultimately at the end of the day, you know, especially for those business leaders out there, that's how you build a healthy, enduring company, right? Is you help each individual be healthy and productive in their individual roles and lift kind of where they stand at that moment. And that's ultimately what drives the success of the overall company, right? Absolutely. 100%. 100%. Love it. I I think too, that's one of the, I think HR people, need to be aware of the subconscious things that drive inner decisions too. Mm-hmm. You listen, the fact is that I said I could talk about colorism and how it's brainwashed us and it's led us astray. But the fact is there are a lot of things when people used to believe mm-hmm. that women couldn't do math, mm-hmm. okay, way back, right? That then they didn't give them the opportunities to do math. Mm-hmm. If you believe it, even if you never say it, it affects yeah. how you deal with that person. I I encourage people just to be conscious in your you, you don't know what you don't know so that's not that's the, right the point is to be conscious in your in your outreach conscious in your efforts to, to assist conscious in your efforts to facilitate success and then measure yourself measure right. yourself like if i'm hr i'm measuring myself if i really believe in what i'm doing and mm-hmm. i really want to the organization is good i'm gonna look at my numbers what do mm-hmm. my numbers show people say yeah but numbers that are quota like again was it a quarter when everybody hired was white was that mm-hmm. a quarter 
No, nobody said it was a quota then, right? Nobody said, you know what? Mm-hmm. We've hired 400 state people. They're all white. Incredible quota. Is this yeah. affirmative action? It must be. Nobody said that. So I, yeah. I, I reject that. I just go right to, hey, listen, let me look at my numbers. If, if all things are equal, then I should see a distribution of people because talent, yeah. opportunity, talent is not the function of geography, gender, uh, you know, ethnicity, uh, color of skin, or where That's you right. grew up. It's not. It's it, it, talent is everywhere. So if I believe that, and I look at my numbers, and you know what? Wow. Uh, I don't know what's going on, but it ain't happening now. What's going yeah. on? Because something's going on. And it's got to be me. You know. Yeah. That's great, man. Daryl, you've given us so much to think about, and I really appreciate you joining the episode today and sharing your experiences and just that wealth of knowledge that you have on this topic. You know, as we wrap up here, I have just a few last questions for you. One of them that I really like to ask all of our guests that come on is again, because, you know, uh, this podcast is really focused on those tangible tips for small business to really help them improve their HR and people functions. So what's one thing that you think our listeners can and should do this week to really improve their HR and people functions? Great question. Uh, and I think I have an answer for you. To me, okay. the one most powerful thing your listeners can do to improve their HR or people functions is approach the function as if you are a great coach. Hmm. The coach's job is for the team to win, for the players to play well. And so, and he is judged on, okay, am I winning? Do, do I win with the players that I have? If you think about coaching, what does coach do? He's going to help you if you're a football player or whatever sport. He's going to help you. He'll say, hey, listen, you're not uh, uh, you're missing the guy on the left side. He's coming inside. you got to really see him and do the backdoor pass, whatever the, the terminology. Right. But basically, the coach is – when you see – I love it when I see a timeout in football. You watch the NFL and there's a timeout, and you see the head coach talking to the quarterback. Now, think about it for a second. Mm-hmm. He ain't getting – the coach is not getting tackled. But he sees things the coach, the quarterback can't say, listen, watch out, the guy's coming from this side, why don't you throw it? Whatever he said, my point right. is, if you approach your job as a coach, not as HR, not as a boss, said, I'm a coach, and I've got to coach my team up and coach them to win. Mm-hmm. If I do that, because the difference in talent in, in sports, in pro sports, is the difference between teams is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. I don't even, yeah. I mean, you, yeah. can't, you really can't measure it. You really can't measure it. So what happened? It is the coaching and the ability of the players to execute the coach's vision. So my point is the one thing, if you think of your life, you get up every morning and say, I'm a coach. Now go out and if every decision I make, I make it as if I was a coach. Mm-hmm. I think they would improve the HR function dramatically and have people wanting to play. Everybody wants to play for a good coach. I played briefly for coach Mike Krzyzewski in college. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he was a really good coach. He was a young coach, but a really good coach. Obviously his big attraction for all the years is that he's a really great coach mm-hmm. and the team's to the win. He's a really great coach. Coaching is the difference. Coaching is not a program, not a process, not even good feelings. The coach question is, can you coach? And I would yeah. ask everybody become, become better coaches. I love it. Amen to everything you just said. That's just great stuff. So excellent, excellent tip. Last question I have for you, Daryl, before we wrap up here is what's the best way for listeners to get in contact with you if they have follow-up questions about our topic today, or if they want to uh, learn more about your company, Catapult Leaders? Oh, well, I would love to talk, as you can tell, to anybody and everybody. There are a few best ways to reach me. One is on LinkedIn. You go to LinkedIn, you type in Daryl Mobley, Look for a guy wearing a bow tie. That's me. I think I'm the only Daryl Mobley on there wearing a bow tie. Uh, <laughs> with Catapult Leaders, you know, there's that. So you, there's that. You can also, if you want to go to catapultleaders.com 
And there's a contact us form if you want to send me a message that way. Or you can call. You can call 480-666-5525. 480-666-5525. You dial and there's somebody answers and the rest is history. But I would love to chat with people about this topic or about taking your business further with great talent. Thank you so much, Daryl. Well, we will put all of those uh, ways to contact you in the show notes. So if you're a listener out there and didn't have enough time to write that down, go find Daryl's contact information in the show notes and reach out to him. So Daryl, thank you again so much for taking the time to join our show today. Hope you have a great rest of the day. Thank you so much. And you're doing a great thing for your listeners. Uh, A great show. And I'm honored that you had me on. Thank you so much, Gary. Thanks. Today, enduring companies know that their people are their most important assets and they invest in helping them excel. But often, small businesses with limited HR resources struggle to manage their people, payroll, and processes efficiently and create an environment where frontline, deskless employees thrive. That's why we created Eddy. Eddy is the all-in-one HR suite built for local businesses that streamlines tedious HR processes and improves the employee experience for frontline workers. With Eddy, you can hire, manage, pay, and engage employees with one easy-to-use software. No headache required. You've already done the hard part by creating a great business. Now let us help you take it to the next level. Visit eddy.com today to request a demo.